Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women's Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Welcome, everybody, to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. And I know I say this every week whenever I talk to someone, but I also, once again, really mean it this time. I am on the line with Pamela Pamela Hinton Prado. Am I saying your name properly? Prado. Prado. Pamela Prado. Like Prado, but Prado. um, Who is the owner of Emerald Curtain Fabrics. This is a custom fabric company. And we're going to talk about custom fabrics, especially because Pamela's fabric, something that I'm really drawn to, is her commitment to centering images of black girls and black folks in her work. She also covers a lot of other issues that could be related to questions of diversity and inclusion. Um, The things that I'm really drawn to are how humorous her designs are, some of the irreverence um, of her designs, and just some of the beautiful blackness that we see come through her work. So Pamela, thank you so much for being here and for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's just get started with a question I ask many people is, how did you get started sewing? How long have you been sewing? Um, And what kind of things do you like to make? So I started sewing when I was 16. Um, My sisters actually took sewing um, in high school and won state competitions. And um, they worked actually sewing. One of their classes, they would get to leave and, and go sew at Springs Industries. And I would see them making things, and I was always really impressed. So when I got into high school, I took two semesters of a clothing and textiles course. And that's how I learned to sew. Um, So I'm 40 now. So that was a really long time ago. I've been sewing off and on since then. Um, I like making clothing. I also enjoy making handbags. Um, But I typically make clothing and handbags. And uh, that's about it, I think. That's fantastic. So I know that Spring Industries is a, is that a large fabric company? Like what, tell us about what is Spring Industries? The name sounds very familiar and I keep thinking about it in terms of seeing it imprinted on certain fabric manufacturers. But so tell me about Spring Industries. And first of all, anything that would allow me to like leave school during the day would probably be something I would want to do. Um, So let's hear more about that. So Springs, actually, it's unfortunate they're closed now where I live in our community. They're not around anymore, but they do. They make fabric. So on the selvage of your fabric, you may see Springs, but they make a lot of sheets and pillowcases. Also a lot of washcloths and towels. If you look, it'll say Springs. And before the textile industry kind of crashed in the U.S., that was the the big um that was a part of a huge part of our labor market where I live. Um, so yeah, my sisters would leave school and they'd go and they'd sew for Springs, um, and earn a little bit of money and also get to miss school. 
Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of ways that you can incentivize kids to sew. Um, but for some kids, like being able just to like walk out of the school doors and go do something else for a little while is an important part of a, a practical education. Um, so I think that's really cool. And, and so it's funny that your sisters had that experience sewing for Springs. So did you end up doing the same thing? Was that available to you by the time you started? It wasn't. By the time I started, that wasn't available, unfortunately. Well, I guess I'm imagining like a interesting cross between like child labor and internships um, <laughs> and, and unpaid, slightly paid internships. You know what I mean? I'm just like, hmm, I think it's a wonderful program, though I can totally see how someone I, I could totally see how some companies, I'm not saying Springs, of course, yeah. um, could like take advantage, you know. Um, and by that, I speak of myself. I did hire some high school students to help me um, organize my pattern collection. Um, it was a very extensive project. I think I had them over for maybe six weekends or something. They came, they just lived in the neighborhood. So just come right, right across the street. I've known them all since they were little, um, but I paid everybody and it was still a lot of work. Um, and so, you know, young people are very enthusiastic, you know, and you pay them and you get, make them cookies and they're like happy to do the most boring things ever. Absolutely. Um, feed them and give them money. They're happy. Feed them and money. Well, you know what? Real talk, feed me and give me some money. I'll do some boring <laughs> shit too. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm above it all because I am certainly not. Um, so let's talk about Emerald Curtain Fabrics. How did you come up with that name? I'm looking at the logo and I think maybe it's related to the Wiz or the Wizard of Oz. Um, but tell me, tell me more about how you came to that. Oh gosh, coming up with the name was so stressful. I, um, I teeter back and forth between do I want a very um, Afrocentric name or something that defines me as a black woman um, to going to, well, maybe not. And, you know, just not being sure. So what I ended up doing was deciding I'm going to name this something that I love. It's going to be related to something that I love. And um, the Wizard of Oz is, has, has and is um an important movie to me. And it, it sounds a little silly, but I'll, I'll give you the backstory on it. Please. Um, and a lot of people know this and some don't, but I had a really um, difficult childhood. I, you know, my parents did not make a lot of money. You know, there was a lot of poverty. Um, sometimes our electricity wasn't on, you know, so I grew up in an unstable household. My dad was a drug addict. Um, and as a kid, that movie was kind of my outlet. I watched the wizard of Oz over and over again. I learned all the songs. I would write down the lyrics. I would write down what they're saying. I was just so, it was just an outlet for me as a child. And as an adult, I've learned that many children who come from, um, unstable households will latch onto a cartoon or a movie as a way of escaping. And so that's what I was doing. I didn't realize it then, but that's what I was doing. And to this day, I own that that Blu-ray. I own the Blu-ray of The Wizard of Oz, and I still watch it sometimes because it just brings back, you know, fond memories for me. And so 
I ended up getting into uh, Wicked and all of the different, um, there's different books written about the characters. Like there's one written about the Cowardly Lion and his story. And Yes, and that's right. Yeah, they're so good. They're so good. I started getting into that and I saw Wicked. I went to see it and I was just so impressed. And then there is Behind the Emerald Curtain, which is all about the making of Wicked. And, oh my gosh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, amazing. Yeah. So that's where I got the name from. I said, well, I don't want to name it Wizard of Oz or anything related to Emerald City, but behind the Emerald Curtain. I was like, I love that. So Emerald Curtain Fabric is the name that I came up with. That's really wonderful because what I, what I hear in your story is that you were able to connect in a really meaningful and self-therapeutic way, even before we had the vocabulary to talk about a kind of therapeutic or a coping mechanism or whatever, you were able to care for yourself by kind of in some ways going behind the Emerald Curtain kind of, right? Absolutely. By like immersing yourself in The Wizard of Oz yeah. um, and developing an early fandom about the transformative properties. I think that's, I think in some ways The Wizard of Oz is a really classic hero's journey, you know? Um, you know, I think that's how the story is often described and how yeah. each person kind of already had what they were looking for inside themselves, you yeah. know? And so it's just a really powerful reminder of how we become who we are and that we all have such powerful and great potential yeah. and you're still thriving there. You know what I mean? And so yeah. not only is this like a self-healing thing for you, you have then transformed that into something that other people can use to, you know, to celebrate themselves, to create, to build. I mean, it's really a beautiful, it's really a beautiful story. Um, and I'm just, I'm so glad to know this very rich background, you know? Um, so, and do you have those flying monkeys on your, on your, on your curtains? Because I think that everybody can agree objectively that those things are scary as all hell. And, um, I don't know, um, why, whatever was going on in the mind of Frank Baum, you know, I don't know if he was dropping acid. I don't know what would make him think of such a thing to terrorize children with. Um, but maybe he had some traumas of his own that he was working out because, um, yeah, Terrifying. Absolutely. I love the flying monkeys. Even as a kid, I was like, flying monkeys. Oh my gosh, that's so incredible. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so tell us about when you decided to create your custom fabric work. So in before, what, what, what was some of the, the things that motivated you to do this yourself? Um, and we are going to talk later, um, y'all, about like the custom fabric world. Because if you are, if you, if you have only purchased fabric from fabric stores or from online vendors of fabric stores, like larger big box places, you might not realize that there is an entire custom fabric world. And I am not exaggerating when I say this is a world yeah. and they have, it's, it has its own vocabularies. It has multiple communities. Um, it has even like a policing agency, I would say with that group called free speech on yeah. Facebook, which yeah. I have never in life ever once entered. Like oh. I refuse. I oh, you have to, Oh no, ma'am. Oh yeah. no, ma'am. Look, look at here. 
I have enough stress in my daily life. I don't need to be fooling with these people like that. And all the games and all the drama. No, oh, my gosh. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Speak on free speech for just a second, though. Yes, please. So, I hear this a lot. I get that response from people about free speech. And honestly, for someone like you, you may not benefit as much from free speech, but when I first joined, and this kind of ties into your question about how I got started, when I I started back sewing, um, I think it was three years ago, two or three years ago, I started getting back into sewing after a break. And um, free speech was one of the groups that a friend of mine added me to. And I, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with free speech. And just like anything, there's good and there's bad. You know, is there drama and unnecessary drama on free speech? Absolutely. You know, that's everywhere. But I have learned so much on free speech about, um, and, and even as a Black woman, about my own community, how marginalized we are. I've learned about um, ableism. I didn't know what that was until I joined free speech. I didn't know how the puzzle piece was offensive to um, the autistic community until I joined free speech. Um, so I, I've learned so much from there. So I use free speech as a way to gather that useful information and weed out the rest of the information that's not helpful. But if I hadn't been in that group, I wouldn't know the things that I do today. So I credit free speech with that. That's that's a really good way to look at it, that you're able to kind of winnow and sift through. And what is the full title of that group, Patricia? I think it's like, I know people, the shorthand, y'all, is free speech. Yeah, it's but it's, it's, something, <laughs> it's something like free speech for custom it's free speech patterns in uh fabric edition i think yes so this is a forum on facebook where people can go and pretty much say because it's quote unquote free speech can say pretty much anything they want (laughs) about um usually usually it's small businesses right small pattern companies small fabric companies no one is going in there to bitch about joann's you know you can bitch about joann's anywhere joann's does not care if you don't like joann's right right but you know if you are a small business if you are a small pattern maker if you are you know a small business owner you really do care about your reputation so i have certainly heard folks say that they are in free speech because they want to make sure that their own name doesn't come up <laughs> and so if their name if their name comes up they're like oh shit let me go see what's happening oh okay fine that's fine that's fine that's yes. not you know as a if you own a small business that's going to involve the sewing community, it's a very good place to be because not only you want to hear if your name comes up, but you need to know what's happening in the community. You know, these are the people you want to be your customers. And if you don't understand the dynamics of the fabric community, then you're not going to be successful. That is that is an excellent point. And so what happens in this group, again, this is all because I, I have chosen to opt out. Um, I think that my project is a very different project. I'm not so much trying to kind of secure customers um, or even listeners, really. I mean, I feel like I put out what I think is valuable, important. I'm very clear and transparent that the purpose of this podcast is to center Black women, girls, and femmes in sewing. And that's what I do every week. Um, And so that's the overall project. And 
I'm so I can't really think right now off the top of my head how I might benefit from the participation in the free speech group um, other than, you know, because I, I just I don't know. And I really do have a lot of other stressors. So I will <laughs> I continue to just say, you know, everyone's not going to like me. I'm not for everybody. I'm not a brownie. I'm not going to be universally loved by all, you know, everybody loves brownies in my opinion. Um, (laughs) And so I'm not that that's okay. Uh, But I do love the idea of thinking about this as a form of research, as well as participating in a really robust way in a larger community. Um, And I can say, I did not need to, I don't need to join a group, and I'm pretty sure you didn't either to know that the sewing community is racist and, um, and homophobic and has a lot of problematic social aspects to it that come with living in a white supremacist, patriarchal capitalist society. You know, none of that is news to me. That's actually my day job. That's what I do for my day job. So I I got all that. I got it. That's why I don't think you would probably wouldn't benefit as much. (laughs) You know, when I first came in the sewing community, I didn't know that. And, And that's how I learned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I talk about this a lot as sewing with the whites. Um, and, and so much so that my kids think that like the whites as like an actual person, like her person is named Mrs. White and mama doesn't like to do sewing with the whites. Um, you know, I mean, I do some collaborative stuff, you know, but you know, but the purpose of, you know, personally, but the, the purpose of this project of this podcast is to make deliberate choices to be a counter narrative, right? Yeah. To go against that, which we already know, to make an intervention in this community and to let people know that we are here and we are here, not because we want a seat at the table. I am not you know what? I've been seated at a whole lot of tables. You know, I would much rather have a table that is where I don't have to fight for a seat. You yeah. know, I I don't need to be way down at the end and somebody, right. you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I'm not interested in that. Instead, I'm building my own table yeah. um, and building my own community, which is what you have done so splendidly, I think, with Emerald Curtain Fabrics. I really feel like you are create and, and you and the other black women, um, custom fabric designers and manufacturers and businesses have really taken the risk to say, you know what? This might make some people uncomfortable, but I don't care about that. What I care about is making myself and my folks comfortable. You know, the comfort and happiness and joy of Black sewists is important and worth celebrating and preserving. Absolutely. And that's something that I just so, that's something I really love about your work. So we're going to take a, just a little short break. Um, and we, when we come back, we'll talk about some of the vocabularies of custom fabrics and to hear from Pamela what some of her favorite designs are. I will, I already have one or two favorite designs um, that she's done, but I want to hear the ones that she likes so much. So stay tuned. Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, we talk a lot about sewing. But if you want to see and not just hear about some of the things we've been discussing, feel free to join us on the socials. You can find us at Stitch Please 
on Facebook. And you can also find us on Instagram at Black Women Stitch. You can find photos of projects that we've been working on, really interesting social commentary. And on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can join Black Women Stitch for a live Instagram chat. Again, that's every Thursday at 3 p.m. So find us on the socials, follow up with us. We are happy to hear your direct messages. You can reach out to us at the Black Women Stitch page on Instagram, and we'll help you get your stitch together. I am back, and I'm talking with Pamela Prado of the Emerald Curtain Fabrics. And we, as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about the world of custom fabrics and some of the vocabulary that you hear. If you, again, have only purchased fabric at a fabric store, um, if you never um, purchased fabric through a custom knit. When I first introduced was introduced to this world, it was custom knit fabrics. Um, and there was so much that I did not know. I didn't know so many things. I didn't know what a pre-order was. I didn't know what a round was. I didn't know what a strike-off was. I didn't know the difference between pre-order and retail. I, I was like, okay, so I gave somebody some money on a, and then I signed up on a Google spreadsheet. And now I just have to hope that they give me some fabric. <laughs> like, um, is this like, what is all of this? You know, what is spam? You know, like, what is this? What it spammed me with ideas. And I'm like, I thought people didn't like spam. Like, I don't know. People are asking for it now. What is this? So can you just tell us a little bit about how the custom fabric um, protocols are? You know, just a general, you don't have to go into too much detail because, y'all, I did do an episode about this last October, October of 2019. Um And so I will include a link to that in this week's show notes so you can listen to that episode about all the details. But how does it work? Like how basically would you describe the procedures of custom fabric and purchasing it as being different from just going to the store and buying some fabric, Pamela? Yeah, it's definitely different. It's um, so custom fabric. I operate by offering what's called a pre-order, and a pre-order is a certain amount of time or days I'm going to give where customers can go onto my website and they can order fabric. Typically, my pre-orders run two weeks. I try to run them 14 days, and during those 14 days, I have a team of sewists that we call strike-off sewists who sew the fabric for me to preview to customers. And I hold my team in high regard because without them, none of this would be possible. Literally none of this. So during those 14 days, my team, they've already sewn up their garments with the fabric that I'm offering. And they go to different Facebook groups, Instagram groups, and they promote what they're wearing. Hey, I made this. Um, I use this pattern. And people say, oh, that fabric's beautiful. Where can I get it? Oh, you can get it at Emerald Curtain Fabric. They have a pre-order open and they usually provide a link. So during those 14 days, that's happening and people are going coming to the website and they're ordering. On that 14th day, that is the last day that you can order any of the fabric I'm offering in that pre-order. After that day, I close it down so you can go to my website and pre-order. And behind the scenes, I am tallying how much fabric was ordered and providing that to my fabric printer. 
So my fabric printer gets that order and they start printing the fabric. And that can take up to 12 weeks, depending on how large the order is and their own timelines for printing. And um, they contact me, let me know your order's done. And it typically ships to me like 24 hours. They tell me that day, sometimes the next day it's, it's, on my doorstep. Wow. Uh, Yeah. It's really kind of, it's very quick. So I get the fabric and I might get, you know, 300, 400 yards of fabric and I have to process that fabric. So what I do is I open it. I am cutting the fabric. I am, you know, making sure there's no um, flaws and that the fabric is of quality. And I then cut it into whatever yardage was ordered during the pre-order and I ship it to customers. So the difference is you are paying ahead of time for your product and then you have to wait for that fabric to be delivered to you. And so can you tell me a bit more about when you say you get 300 yards or 400 yards of fabric, for example, I kind of think that I currently own 300 yards of fabric in my sewing room right now. That is what I think. I know I have said this on a recorded platform, so I'm sure someone's going to throw it back in my face again. Just like when I told Carolyn that I really like sewing hams, which I do. I have quite a few sewing hams and people have continued to ask me, how many hams do you have? And it's like, well, I'm not telling you because I don't know if this is a judgment-free zone or not. Um, But when I think about 300 yards of fabric coming to your house, right? Mm-hmm. I, I know we, I know you've probably seen those memes that say, I've said like a, of a UPS truck and it's like, you know, oh, here, my fabric order is here. And it's like the entire UPS truck, but that's closer to being true for you. I mean, I can only imagine like how tall these things are. Is it rolls? I'm thinking it's not coming to, broken down on eight yard bolts like we see at Joanne's. <laughs> these must be like giant, uh, giant rolls that might be as tall as you are, you know, like how does, how does that work? Like rolling out fabric that might be the size of a carpet roll rather than a regular fabric bowl. Yeah, it is the size of a carpet roll. And and sometimes, you know, laughingly refer to it as a body bag. You know, it's, it, it is longer, a little bit, I'm almost six feet tall. It's a little bit longer than me. And it's, it oh is goodness. like a, a carpet roll and they are really heavy. Um, 300 yards of fabric, you know, my fabric group is small. It's growing, but it's small. Is is small compared to some of the larger groups who are getting thousands of yards at a time. Um, but, you know, I process everything on my own. I, I cut it all. When you get fabric for me, I have done everything from putting your postage on the envelope. You know, I don't, I don't have my family help because I can't, <laughs> when I'm cutting my yardage, I'm too specific about it has to be done a certain way. So I can't really relinquish hold of that. So I literally cut every piece of fabric um, myself. So what I do is we get these huge rolls and I have, um, I have two huge industrial tables that I have put together that I unroll all the fabric on. I unroll everything first. And those rolls may have cotton lycra, cotton woven, French chair. It's all mixed up sometimes. Right, right. Which roll, yes. So I unroll all the fabric. And then the next thing I do is I start cutting it um, based on what the print is because it's not separate it. You know, it'll be connected to a a different print. So um, I cut them into prints and then I fold them on the grain. Um, That makes it easier when I'm cutting to make sure that you're getting the yardage that you're supposed to get if it's on the grain. So I, I make sure it's folded on the grain and I roll the fabric up. 
And then later, once everything's in rolls, that's when I then um, pull it and start cutting, you know, oh, you ordered a yard or you ordered two yards. I then unroll it. And since I already have it rolled on the grain, it makes it easier for me. I unroll. I have an electric cutter that I use and... Um, I have a tea ruler that goes the the width of my table. And so it's kind of like when you're cutting with your rotary cutter and you have your, yes. uh, yeah, I, that's what that ruler does. I can basically cut right next to it with my electric cutter to keep it in place. And uh, I cut my yardage like that. That's, that's incredible. So like your electric cutter, is it like electric scissors or is it something else? More like a table saw type? It, it's a tool. table saw. It looks like a table saw. Oh my gosh, you can use a table saw on fabric. No, I don't need to know this information. Yes, you do. Yeah, a lot of people use it to cut their fabric. Girl, please. I'll end up chopping off my pinky finger. They'll be like, what happened to your, didn't you used to have 10 fingers? It's like, well, I used to have 10 fingers and I talked to Pamela Prado on my podcast and now I only have, I have nine and a half now. That's a battle scar. It's okay. I suppose. I suppose. Um, so this is helping me to understand too, one of the questions that I think you said you might get a lot is, or help people to understand if they are familiar with the custom fabric world or if they're not at all and they go to try, this fabric is more expensive than the fabric you will see at a Joanne Fabrics or at um, almost any other like brick and mortar fabric retailer, except for maybe fine fabrics, you know, finer couture type fabrics. Um, I know places like Mood and B and J have fabrics that are up within the that are that sell for hundreds of hundreds of dollars per yard. Um, but most folks aren't used to seeing. Um, fabrics that cost what custom fabrics do what custom fabrics cost and so you mentioned pre-order and something that I was confused by was the difference between pre-order and retail as terms so can you talk a little bit about um, what happens between pre-order and retail Yes. So, oh, I'm actually between pre-order and retail right now. So that'll be easy for me to explain to you. So what, how, I, what I do, because I offer retail um, as well as pre-order, I recently finished cutting up and shipping out my fabric for pre-order. The last round when people pre-ordered, that's been shipped out. And now what I have left over is going to be offered as retail. And retail is where once you order from the website, I literally pack it usually that day or the next day and ship it out immediately. There's no wait time. Retail is a little more expensive than pre-order is too. So a benefit of pre-order is you get that kind of reduced price. Um, but I don't offer retail. I have to wait to offer retail. I want to make sure that all the fabric that I ship to my customers who pre-order has been shipped and received with no issues. Because if, say, a customer gets their fabric and there's a a huge flaw on it, I will have to go to what, you know, the fabric that I have available and send them new fabric. So before I sell any of that fabric as retail, I want, I make sure that my pre-order customers are taken care of first. So right. once that happens, I will open retail and I'll post what I have on the website and you can order it and it will be shipped to you pretty much the next day. So, the, so one of the advantages of retail is that, you know, you know exactly, you know that it's, it's there, it'll ship much quicker, you don't have to wait the, the up to 12 weeks for the fabric to arrive. But one of the disadvantages is that you will be, you will pay more for this. And so I love what I'm hearing is that you're saying you don't order extra fabric for retail, you want to make sure that you have enough fabric to cover the people who pre-ordered. So I think pre-order, it seems more beneficial, because 
not only does it help you make whatever minimums that you might need in order for the um, the round of fabric to be published, it also gives the customer a benefit of paying a little bit less for something really impressive, um, which you can't get anywhere else. And so that, that, that gives us a chance to transition to um, we talked about again about the pre-order and about why this fabric is more expensive. Is there anything else you want to add to explain? I mean, I feel like somebody who is hauling off 300 yards of fabric and cutting it by hand is certainly going to need to charge more than someone um, who is not doing that. Yeah. Um, but are there other elements that make f- custom fabric more expensive? Yes, there there are a few other I would others I'd like to mention. The first being that custom fabric is of a higher quality than the fabric you will get if you go into a Joann's and buy fabric. So, um, you know, the cotton lycra, for example, is one of the more popular bases people buy. Joann's has what they call doodles. Um, it shrinks a lot when you bring that fabric home. It's not as thick. It, it's not as, as good to work with. The custom fabric that I have in Cotton Lycra is very little shrinkage. It's it's very thick. It's high quality. The prints are vibrant. So that is another reason why the cost is more, because you're getting a higher quality product that's going to last longer. Uh, the second reason is because behind the scenes, you know, we have, uh, as a small business owner, we have the expenses of my team that sews for me. I don't require them to pay for their fabric. So I have to provide, you know, they're providing a service to me to to go out and show the world their makes with my fabric. And in return, I don't require them to pay for the fabric. So there's some behind the scene costs that go into being able to provide custom fabric. And I imagine that you kind of need to pay yourself. I imagine that, you know, that I think particularly when you're starting out, any new endeavor, there's a lot of times when folks don't get a salary, you know, like, you know, people who start a restaurant, I have friends who have a restaurant and for the first two years, they didn't pay themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, they paid their employees, but they didn't pay themselves. I don't you know? pay myself yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Most of my, and also I'm glad you said that though, because most all the money I get back is going into artwork. I hire black artists um, to create, you know, what you see on the fabric is being created by an artist. Um, so I, you know, sometimes I do use stock art, but um, I always in every round have custom items that I have paid an artist to create. So there's a cost involved with that as well. And, and I think that, I think that between the physical labor um, of the, of the of custom some fabric management that you're doing, the intellectual labor that you are ethically compensating somebody for, you know, this intellectual labor, this artist who's creating this kind of creative special work that's only for you and only for your customers. I think that that costs money, you know? And so I, I think that that's really a wonderful thing to remind us of is that this all is, you know, in the same way that you are putting your hands like every step of the way to the wheel of this project, you know, you are really making it happen. And if it wasn't for you, it would not be happening. You know, so too, this is part of a larger, very complicated network um, of work that it means it's going to be different. It's not going to be $9. It's just not, you know, it's, it's just not. Um, so let's talk about some of the the art because I think for me that's where I see such an affinity between my project here at Black Women Stitch and the Stitch Please podcast and the work that you're doing with your custom fabric line. Um, and so, can you tell us about the round you have out right now? 
the round, the upcoming round, the upcoming round, the one oh, that, yeah. so what are the dates? You oh. said the, was it April 21st? April 21st. I'm so excited. Yes. April 21st is when, um, this is my sixth round is opening and there's so much beautiful art. Um, I am really excited about, I have some artwork, which, you know, she's going to give you the links, but you'll see there um, are two beautiful black girls in the art and they are definitely some of my favorite. I've been holding this art since before I opened last April to, um, to offer it. And my favorite thing about this art is their hair. Um, because yes. they're such a huge part of, for black women, you know, and black yes. growing up and their hair looks like our hair. I yes. think children will see themselves reflected in these little girls and it is just gorgeous. They're gorgeous. <laughs> It really is. I'm looking at one right now with glasses and she's, I think she's sitting on the floor holding two little teddy, two little bunnies or yeah. something. And hair love, H-A-R-E, hair love. Hair. Oh my gosh. You know, I love a pun. <laughs> I really love puns so much. Oh, and look at her with her, looks like she has like a yellow jacket. Yes. You can see some of these images if you go to um, the Emerald Curtain Fabric Facebook page. Um, this episode is going to air Pamela on the 22nd of April, which is next week. Uh, we're recording, you know, I record ahead of time. Y'all, y'all know how busy I am. <laughs> so, um, but that means that basically what we're doing today is coinciding perfectly with the round of fabric that opened yesterday. So if you're listening to this episode now, you will be able to go to Pamela's website and look at this fabric for yourself and put in your pre-orders. Um, what, how many, what, how many bases do you tend to offer? And by bases, I mean, I know you know this Pamela, but base is another word in the custom fabric world, which means type of fabric. So you could have the same design on cotton lycra, on swim on Liverpool on all these different types. What types of fabric do you offer? So I'll be offering cotton lycra, bamboo lycra, French terry, cotton woven, which is quilting cotton, um, swim. I will be adding cotton lawn, which will be another woven option if you don't want the um, quilting cotton, minky and double minky. Oh my gosh, what is double minky? <laughs> double minky is where it's mink on both sides and it has stretch to it. It feels wonderful. It's also known as plush. I think um, that's what Joanne's calls it and some places calls it fluff, but it's like super thick and warm. It's It feels luxurious. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a nice thing thinking about for fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Okay. Yeah, people make leggings with it. It's, it's, it feels really good. Oh, okay. Okay. This is very exciting. <laughs> so, what are some of the art images that you have most loved? If you had to pick the top three images of emerald curtain fabrics, now you said you are on your sixth round yes. of fabric now. So, if you had to go back and pick the top three, what would they be, the ones that you love the most that really kind of reflect, um, you know, when you look at this, and you're like, yes, I did it. I got it. Nailed it. This is this is what we're about. 
Uh, Mother Africa is one of my favorites. That's from round one, which is the image of the black woman and her hair is in the shape of Africa. I have that one. Yeah, I bought that one. A small, the small panel makes a mask, and when it opens up, you can see her whole face. It's 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 wonderful. So that's oh my one. Um, everything is everything, which was uh, I think two rounds ago, which has all the different black women. Um, I don't know if you remember that one. I think I did get this one. Was this, it It was kind of like lots of different women, like they're kind of doing different things. Yes. It's like a graffiti scene. of black, Yes. Like yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's also one of my favorites. Um, oh gosh, it's so hard to pick just the, I have to, um, the LeVar Burton prayer that I remember yes. around is also one of my favorites. That I'm looking at that. I'm looking through your page right now, and it's absolutely great. I love the Lizzo one, which oh, of course, I mean, you know, I, you know, you have a lot of really great fabrics when you like when you kind of forget that you have um, one with Lizzo playing the flute. Yes. Um, so that's, that's so a big smart. yes. What's up? That's a very big yes for me. And I also bought the one that you did the one that with the with the cupcakes, right? The cupcakes. Mm-mm. No, I, I guess it was. Yeah. So maybe I'm confusing because I have I did buy some in the first round of your fabrics and I made I bought the Mother Africa and I bought the coordinate and I ended up making this hooded dress with and I wore it with it, 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 it with it, it was tapered at the bottom. I loved it. I love the print. And I remember it took me a long time to find a particular pattern because I was like, I don't want to cut this. I don't want to. I want to make sure her whole profile is in here. And so it worked out really, really beautifully. And so I made the dress and loved it. And then I ended up giving it to a friend because my sisters came to help me, quote unquote, clean out my closet, which, you know, was also... um I guess some might call it an intervention. And um and I ended up like bundling up a bunch of fabric, not fabric, a bunch of clothes that I had made to give away and I mailed some to select friends. So like, you know, that was one of them and that was one of the dresses that the friend I sent it to was like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I saw this." And so because this is stuff you can't get anywhere else. Yes. You cannot get it anywhere else. So I love that one. And I think I might have bought some of those with the graffiti girls. I mm-hmm. feel like I might have bought that. that you was know, popular. And I know for sure I'm already looking at the ones for this round and those little girls are a uh, yes, please. They're so gorgeous. They are absolutely so gorgeous. And, and the little, and the lollipops and the, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a lot of really great things that you have put together for us to do. So what have been some of the positive, good feedback that you've received and what have been some of the, the, the negative, um, or criticisms that you have received. Um, and I say this because as someone who has also received some criticisms for, for like centering black women, girls and femmes in my work, um, and in this, not my work work, but in this particular project, like, you know, oh, they're like, oh, well, you have, you have these retreats, but they're for black women. And is that a loud and I'm like um it's it's 19 
it's like, you might not know this, but we are currently living in the year 2019, not 1819. (laughs) And black people are allowed to gather without white supervision now. So if I want to convene a group of black women to get together and sew something, we are totally allowed to do it now. Yes. You know? So that is something that like, I don't, I don't absolutely don't apologize for because I know when I go to my Instagram and I put in hashtag sewing, um, it's white person, white person, white person, white person, white person, white person, white person. And then by the time you get down maybe to the seventh screen, then you might see a non-white person. And until that algorithm changes, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and it's filling a need. The same is true of your fabric. So tell me if you've had any type of, um, feedback, um, that that you find that where people are uncomfortable, where white people in particular are uncomfortable, maybe some black people, because anti-blackness is not just something white people practice. Anti-blackness is a pretty widely practiced pastime. Um, so have you faced any type of um, critiques or whatever like that? Only a small amount. Um, I'm sure it's out there, but they don't share it with me, which is fine. Um, it's preferred, actually. actually I prefer it that way. You keep that shit to yourself. You keep your side. Right? So the reason that the little girls that I'm running have been holding on to them is because I was advised that I should find a white character to um, match them so that everyone could get a panel representing themselves and I listened and held on to it. And I regret that because I was reminded by a friend that white women can go anywhere and get panels with white little girls on it. Absolutely. That I need to always center black women. And that is so true. And I said, you know what, the next round I am, I'm, I'm releasing the little girl. So that was a reminder to me that, you know, we need to be uplifted and centered because we don't have access to that. And they do. Um, So that was the only kind of negative is, oh, maybe you should wait until you can, you know, put everybody on there. That's right. So, you know, I think that I find so infuriating about that is that it's, it's always like black women. It's always us that has to do everybody else's work for them. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? I mean, no it, it is, friend. <laughs> I mean, friend, let me tell you something. The number of people who have said, why is it black women stitch? Why can't it be women of color stitch? Oh, my God. And I was like, because? Like, why do I, why do black women have to be the one to carry everybody across the finish line? Yeah. You know, I don't know if other women of color are being approached you know, to do the same thing. Like, why do you have an, you know, I don't know, I'm just, you know, an Asian American network of blank, blank, blank. Mm -hmm. Does someone go to them and say, why are you focusing on Asian Americans? You should focus on everybody in the world. I mean, like that, it just makes, it, it makes no sense. Like, I just don't understand that. I mean, I can't speak for what other um, different racial ethnic groups might kind of be having to hold on to or be charged with. But as a black woman, I certainly have felt and seen and experienced this idea that, um, oh, well, to do it just for black people is somehow small and not as meaningful if, as if you were doing it for all the non-whites or all the people's. 
you know? And I'm like, I would like to know who is going up to white people and saying, why is your timeline so full of white people? You know, like, why is it that, and I believe this was a study from a couple years ago that I think that like 80% of white people only have white friends or something like that. That is true. Yes. You know? And so like, you know, and yet that's not statistically true for black folks, like 80 like black people tend to have a more diverse group of friends. And I think a lot of it has to do with, in some ways, anti-blackness, right? It has to do with this socialization that teaches us that to be among ourselves is somehow um, a negative thing or not as good as, or, you know, and some people have argued this is one of the side effects of a misinterpretation of what racial integration brought about. It wasn't that people wanted to, black people wanted to be with white people because white people were so great. It was that black people wanted to have the resources that get allocated to white people. You know, Absolutely. it's not like somehow knowing a white person is going to drastically improve my life. It was having access to the same resources that one gives white schools and white neighborhoods and white communities. These are the things that black folks want to kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just really interesting to me that, that, that someone would say to you, Oh, you have these beautiful black girls. Oh my gosh. They're really wonderful. Wow. Why don't you wait until you can find a white girl with an Afro too? And then <laughs> you can put it out without hurting anybody's feelings. Because, you know, could you imagine, Pamela, that go, could you imagine going to look at some fabric and not seeing yourself? Wouldn't that like theoretically, if that were to ever happen, like hurt your feelings or make you not feel welcome or included? And it's like, oh yeah, that's just Wednesday at any fabric store in America, you know, Um, or the idea that they think that they're doing something when they have like a repeat pattern that might have 12 women in it. um, And two of them are brown or dark brown and some have red hair or brown hair. Um, And like, that's meant to be just that's good enough. Yes. Or just changing. I've seen it where they run like Ariel, the little mermaid Ariel, and then they'll do another Ariel with dark skin, but her hair is still long and red. Like not <laughs> the time to change the features or make them look like us. It's like minimal effort to change the color in Photoshop and paint it on there. And they'll say, well, here we go. It's, I know, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you've ever been in the planner community. Um, the planner, mm-hmm. the planner, also a, a different world. I'm not going to get into it, but I can just, just trust me when I say that in the same way that the custom fabric is its own world, its own community, so too are planners. And these are um, usually women who, um, who see planning as a craft and they have a variety of planners. There's stickers, there's washi tape, there's special pens. And something that you see with the stickers is that for many years, black women were buying planner stickers sold by white folks and then just coloring them in brown themselves because they were so eager to see themselves reflected and these white companies were refusing to do it. Um, And then when they refused to do, then now some of them are starting to do it. And it's just like, for me, I am not interested in you just, you know, making somebody a few shades darker on Photoshop. You know, I would much rather buy these products from someone who is truly committed to promoting the wellness and well-being of black girls and black women and black people in general. Um, And I think that that's what we have in an opportunity 
this, this is the opportunity we have in you and in your work um, and to kind of see all these beautiful designs that you've created and that when you wear them, you know they are yours. You know, and I think that that must be a pretty gratifying feeling. Is it like when you see oh, images absolutely. of people and they tag you in their garments? Yeah. And that's the positive. You just answered the positive side of, of this is, you know, when someone makes something and tags in recurrent fabric and they're just so excited to see fabric that represents them. And, you know, it, it just it brings I've actually cried about it before. I see someone, you know, tag me in something. And, you know, the community is just. The, the black community, sewing community is tight knit and any issues I've had with anyone or a white person coming and starting issues. Yesterday we had it on my page because there's a huge giveaway right now where people are donating gift cards and I have eight gift cards to give away to, to sewists of color and a white woman entered. And, you know, asked, what do you mean? So it's of color. And we explain, you know, it's melanated folks and, and got mad and said, you know, I feel like I'm being excluded as a Jewish, um, Italian American white woman. And I was just, you know, the community just flocked right in and, and, you know, answered her. And I ended up having to, um, you know, I booted her and blocked her from the group because, you know, we have enough of that going on where we have to always defend our reasons. And that wasn't going to be a place where it was happening. This was something good being done, but the community just comes together and they support me. And I am just, I'm in awe of the black sewing community. Is it's so true? I mean, and I think that again, what we are engaged in, at least speaking for myself, what I see myself as in being engaged in, is this corrective. Right. There are a ton of sewing podcasts out there. There are really quite a few sewing podcasts out there, but there aren't any that I could find that center black women, girls and femmes deliberately that say that the questions and topics that we are interested in talking about are relevant to our lives. Um, whenever I've tried to bring up or the way, not bring up, but when they've come up in majority white sewing groups on Facebook or whatever, they always go South. They always go badly. There's always someone on there, a white person saying, well, this just seems unfair and America's about equality and we're all created equal. And you're the one bringing the racism because you want to talk about black people. And it's just like, I don't have time for that stupidity. I really don't. I just, I don't have the patience for it. I I have very, my tolerance for it is incredibly low. I always think, Pamela, that people are really just fucking with me. I really feel like they know that what, I think I'm being, I'm being gaslighted, right? Like they're gaslighting me. They must know that what they're saying is um, problematic and reprehensible and harmful. Some of them do. They're being purposely obtuse. Yeah. And it's just like, you don't get to be innocent. Like you are not innocent. You just are not like we live in a white supremacist society. We live and that does, that's not just people in clan robes, right? It's saying things like you're pretty for a black girl. Mm -hmm. That is white supremacy right there. To say that to someone, even in quote unquote kindness is harmful and toxic and rooted in the idea that somehow, or when I look at you, I don't see black. When I look at you, I don't think about you as a black person or you didn't sound black on the phone. And it's like, none of those are compliments. No, none of them are compliments. And it just shows that you have a really negative and hostile view of black people. And I get to be your exception because you know me. Um, And so I'm not down for that in any way. And I think that your unapologetic embrace of yourself, which is something that everybody else gets to do. 
right? Everybody else gets to just, you know, roll over to Joanne's and find a picture of someone that looks remotely like their child. You know, the same folks that can buy flesh-colored pantyhose um, at TJ Maxx or at Nordstrom's are the same folks who are like, well, why do you all think about this so much? And I'm like, "I, I think about this because your nude is available all around the country. And my nude has to be special ordered from someone who would dye it to my color, you know? So it's just these additional extra efforts um, that, that, that gets so tiring. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that I've not really been, I've had no reason, I guess, to get involved in the, or intervene. I've not been, you know, of course, if I was asked, I'm sure I would, but in certain debates and stuff on free speech, because I just feel like, these are prevalent issues that I that I that I already know about and I am not going to spend any time educating people who are whole adults yeah. and know how to google yeah. and know how to read books yeah. on this topic or even buzzfeed articles they're short you can yeah. that's easy you can get on reddit i mean there's so many resources out there you know, where they can do that. And, and I get like that. I'm just like, I'm too exhausted. I don't have the, you know, the spoon, so to speak for it. And sometimes I'm, like, yeah. I'm just not going to explain it. That's what I did yesterday. I'm just like, once this person pushed back when they were answered, that's when I was just like, I put up the waving hand emoji when she said, oh, I guess I'm going to have to leave the group. That was my reply. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye, friend. I'm sure, I wish you all the best. I'm sure you will find a group with other white people in it that will make you feel safe and at home. Right. Um, and you can take that right back where you got it from. Yes. Yeah. They'll hold your hand and make you feel better about right. how the, the blacks were mean to you today. Right. They're like, this is huh. a sewing group. Why are we discussing this? You know, as if it doesn't affect us in every aspect of our lives. And and who are you to say what you can discuss in your doggone sewing group? Yes. That's what I want to know. You know, like you can talk about whatever you want to talk about because it's yours, you know, and, and the idea of the draw, drawing the boundaries about what is acceptable in sewing and what is not is such an important I think topic that you are completely shattering with your fabric because you are showing and pushing and teaching that there are black children in this world who have black parents who love them and want to sew for them and do not have access to images that look like their own children. And that is not a failure of the black sewists. It is a failure of this larger industry that refuses to see. And I think that this is like a perfect example of colorblind racism um, in choosing to, um, you know, to not acknowledge that our images are just not printed on fabric and that we have to do it ourselves, which is great because we have people who, like yourself, who are creative and smart and ethical and like pushing the envelope and broadening the possibilities for us. And that is something I think that you can celebrate every day. Absolutely. So uh, what's next? So you have this round that opened yesterday. Again, everybody, I am going to put the link to her website as well as Instagram page and Facebook group. Um, if you're interested, what, um, what do you, what do you, what do you foresee after round six? So after round six, I am going to have our one year celebration. 
So there's going to be a lot of giveaways, a lot of prizes, um, free fabric. I'm just going to host like a week of giveaways to celebrate Emerald Curtain Fabric being open for a year. Um, and then uh, I'm going to have a rerun round. Oh, nice. So people who were not able to get Mother Africa or everything is everything, I'm only going to run the most popular prints and I'm going to let the uh, members vote for what prints they want to see again. And I'm going to um, have a rerun round. I love it. Yeah. I got to make sure to get my vote in. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about that too. Cause I'm like, oh, I need some more mother Africa. <laughs> Same. I gave my dress away. So I need to make another one. <laughs> that was really sweet of you, by the way. <laughs> I suppose I was coerced. Well, Pamela, this has been such a delight. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and tell us where we can find you on the socials. Yeah, um, my Facebook is Emerald Curtain Fabric. Instagram is Emerald underscore Curtain underscore Fabric. So you can find me in either one of those. Fantastic. And I will be sure to provide those links. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, join us today and looking forward to ordering some fabric for myself. Thank you. I'm honored. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. There are a variety of ways that you can support the program, and you're doing it right now. By listening to the, pro- by listening to the podcast, it does help us grow. Another way to do that is to rate the podcast, review it, subscribe to it. All of these things are ways that you can support the podcast without having to spend any money at all. If you would like to spend some money to support us, there are ways to do that as well. You can make direct donations to our Patreon site for monthly contributions, as well as one-time contributions to PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. And finally, we have another cute, very adorable way for you to support the Black Women's Stitch Project. It's a pin, a P-I-N enamel lapel pin that's very cute. It's about two inches wide and one and a half inch tall, and it's of the Black Women's Stitch logo. And that is $15 with free shipping to the U.S. And so if you drop $15 in the PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App accounts, and then send me your email, not email, you send me your mailing address to my email either at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com or you send me a direct message on the Black Women's Stitch Instagram page we will put the pin in the mail to you. Um, again free shipping, $15 for the pin and all of this goes to support the Black Women's Stitch Project. Thank you again for joining us this week. Come back next week and we will help you get your stitch together.